just a quick message from me, Rebecca Adil, and I will be quick, I promise. Just a few things I want to say. I'm really excited to share the new series, Series 2 of Killing Time. There's loads of exciting episodes in store and I just know you're going to love it. Secondly, the reviews have been brilliant. Thank you so much for that. If you haven't done it yet, a five-star review would be much appreciated. And finally, 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 if you would like to support the podcast, we do have a Patreon account, which I bang on about all the time. <laughs> Don't feel pressured, but it would be wonderful. You can find us on www.patreon.com forward slash killing underscore time. <sighs> and breathe. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Killing Time, the podcast that investigates the darkest moments of our past to shine a light on wider histories. I'm Rebecca Adil and I'll be your guide. Sit back, relax and listen as we delve into the latest episode, The Untimely Death of Alexander the Great. It's June 323 BC and we're in the ancient palace of Babylon. Sitting to the west of the Euphrates River, the palace is one of the most magnificent buildings on earth. Here, a 32-year-old man has withdrawn, with his troops, to plan the next stage of his military campaigns. For over a decade, Alexander III of Macedon, better known as Alexander the Great, has been undefeated in battle and created one of the largest empires the world has ever seen, conquering lands from Greece to northwest India. After several days feasting in the luxurious surroundings, the young commander falls ill. Within days, he would be dead. the story of Alexander's death, we must first turn to his extraordinary life. To do so, I'm joined by ancient historian and author, Dr. Maria Pretzler. Dr. Maria Pretzler, thank you for coming on to the podcast today. I wonder if, first of all, you could tell me a little bit about him. I mean, just the basics. Who was he? When did he live? So Alexander lived in the 4th century BC, and he was the son of the king of Macedonia, Philip II. Now, his father was a really impressive person himself. He turned a very small kingdom into a fairly large empire. The empire stretched across what's now northern Greece, but he was also dominating neighbouring areas. And so Philip had a number of children, but two sons. His oldest son actually was apparently not capable of ruling. And... Alexander was actually brought up to be the heir to the throne. He was famously educated by Aristotle, the philosopher. And so he really was ready to take over the throne, although that came completely surprisingly when Alexander was 18 and his father was assassinated. And so he had to take over the throne all of a sudden. And there he was, very young, heir to the throne, I first had to fight to actually be accepted as the king of Macedonia. This was a famously murderous dynasty, so that wasn't an easy thing to do, but he, he managed very quickly, actually, established his power again in his kingdom. And so 
all this uh, happened in 336 BC, and so all of a sudden Alexander is king of this empire of Macedonia. He also inherited a plan to conquer Persia, and he was clearly very soon turning to that plan that his father had already conceived of. Ah, so it wasn't, it was, the plan was already laid out then, so he wasn't this huge mastermind as we imagine, or, or was he? Well, to an extent, perhaps. I mean, Philip certainly had been planning to go across to Asia Minor. Some of the troops were already waiting there. So Asia Minor is nowadays in Turkey. It's the east coast of the Aegean. And so they'd already put troops across, but then Philip was assassinated. And of course, it took a while to get all of this going again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alexander only goes off really on, on his campaign two years later in 334. Now, Alexander's campaign was a world-changing event, certainly from a Greek or Macedonian point of view. I don't think there's a question. So quite a few people who were on the trip wrote accounts of their adventures with Alexander. Alexander himself actually took a historian with him to write down the campaign. However, this historian fell foul of Alexander as temper at some point uh, during the campaign. And actually the history broke off because he was executed. Um, But nevertheless, there were a number of accounts, but we do not have a single one of the accounts from the original period. All we have are stories of Alexander written much later, centuries later, actually, which were compiled from these works. So it is actually quite difficult to understand how Alexander was seen in his own time. We have to piece that together from second-hand accounts. Okay, and from your interpretation of these second-hand sources, how do you think that he was seen and how do you think he fits into the wider story of the world at that time? So by the time the accounts we have were written, he was already this kind of almost superhuman figure. Mm. It's much harder to tell in his own time. I think one thing we have to understand is that Alexander was seen differently by different people. So he was clearly the king of the Macedonians and they were clearly very proud of him, at least initially. He extended the empire further, but then he somehow played a different role to different people as he was conquering them. So he first conquered Greece and in a way try to play the role of, uh, of someone who'd go out and take revenge on behalf of the Greeks for the Persian Wars, which happened a long time before. He played the liberator in various places in the Persian Empire, because, of course, the Persians had conquered various areas before. So, for example, in Egypt, he very much played that role. And as he went to Persia, he, he then started to slowly work his way into the role of the successor to the Persian kings. And it is quite interesting because this leads to a big clash with his own people. The Macedonians were not comfortable with their own king now behaving a bit like a Persian king. The court customs were very different. Much more deference was demanded. So actually, when you think about how Alexander was seen, you always have to ask by whom? Because he was speaking to so many people and he was presenting a different persona to so many different people, depending on who he was presenting himself to. And we can see traces of that in his coins, in some of his inscriptions, in some of the stories of how he was trying to reconcile his different personas, particularly when different kinds of people were present. And that led to quite a bit of conflict as well. But of course, 
people were amazed about what he was doing. I mean, Alexander was literally conquering parts of the world that the Greeks were hardly aware of before. They had a notion that there was such a thing as India, but no one really knew what that was like. They had just a hunch of how far away it was, but he's basically walking into unknown territory, into the white bits of the map. And this is, of course, an incredible occurrence. And the other thing is that with this, the world as the Greeks saw it certainly changed very much. And with hindsight, certainly, this, this becomes one of the big world-changing events, this campaign of Alexander. And how strong, so obviously he conquered all of these new territories, but how strong was the hold that he had and did it last for much longer after his death? Not at all. And this is where Alexander's death is such an interesting event because essentially, so he went out, the campaign takes pretty much 10 years. So he he leaves Macedonia and sets over into the Asian side of the Aegean in 334 BC. And by 324, he comes back from India out of the far east, back to Persia, and then a year later back to Babylon. So he's been out there for 10 years. He's nominally, at least, conquered all the way from Greece and Macedonia, all the way to what's nowadays... Pakistan and just the corner of northwest India. So he had to turn around quite close to what's uh, to the modern city of Amritsar in, in, in northern India. And, and so he, he conquered all of this. But you can imagine if you conquer such a large area in such a short time, there's no time to consolidate. There's no time to really set up proper structures of government and so on. The other problem is that Alexander actually hadn't really ordered his succession. For a long time, Alexander wasn't married, which was very unusual. If you're the heir to the throne and then the king, you usually have to marry as quickly as you can and make sure you have an heir. Alexander just didn't bother with this for a very long time. He then picked up, to everyone's surprise, a woman in Bactria, which nowadays Afghanistan, so not a Greek or Macedonian at all, which was a scandal, Roxana, whom he married, and when he died, she was pregnant. They didn't even know whether it was going to be a boy and therefore a suitable heir. So he dies without an heir. He's not actually determined anyone to take over from him as a regent or as a successor. And the structures of this new conquered empire are not really developed. So it doesn't last as an empire. So the impact that Alexander makes is indirect, but nevertheless really important. And and the impact lasts for centuries. Shall we jump back slightly and talk about the death itself and the events that led up to that. And if you could talk me through, based on what the sources say, talk me through how his death came to be. It's actually quite difficult because we don't know for certain. And that's always something we have to say with Alexander. I'll start a year before and don't worry, it won't take too long. (laughs) So he returns from his campaign in 324. He first goes to Persia, which was the centre originally of the empire starts to consolidate his rule there and then decides to go back to Babylon. So he arrived in Babylon perhaps in May 323, so not much before he died actually. 
and he came into Babylon. The stories we've got tell, tell us that there were all sorts of bad omens, but of course such stories are often told after a bad, bad event happens. One such omen was the prophecy of Kalanis, a philosopher from Taxila, Punjab, in modern-day Pakistan, who'd accompanied Alexander during his many campaigns, but took his own life because of his weakening health. His last words to Alexander were reported to be, We shall meet again in Babylon. On a personal level, Alexander had also been hit by the devastating death of his childhood friend, Hephaestion. Aristotle had described their connection as being like one soul abiding in two bodies. According to one account, on seeing his friend's corpse, Alexander, and I quote here, flung himself on the body of his friend and lay there nearly all day long, in tears and refused to be parted from him until he was dragged away by force by his companions. It has been claimed that the death affected Alexander greatly. So he he comes back into Babylon, enters the city in a fairly triumphal manner, probably, and then settles down in the palace of the old Babylonian kings. And there, it is said, he was celebrating a big drinking feast with some of his friends, probably, and at that point collapsed or... Possibly he he suddenly had a fever. It's not quite clear. The symptoms are not described very well. But in any case, he was very ill. And that lasted for somewhere between 11 and 14 days. In some accounts, it is said that he couldn't actually speak anymore in these last few days. And then he finally died. And it really is as vague as this. We have a sense that he's caught around him. Of course, they were scrambling to find some kind of solution. They were trying to ask him who the successor should be and clearly didn't get any meaningful answers out of him. So there was a real problem with what people should do. Now, there are various theories about what death is. Very soon after, there was a sense that he was poisoned. Now, most people think that this isn't the right interpretation, simply because a poison that kills someone within about two weeks is actually very difficult to to concoct. And there isn't really a good suggestion of what it could have been in antiquity. So on the whole, I think, I mean, there are still modern theories that it was poisoned and people do make suggestions. But on the whole, I think most serious historians think that's probably not the case. There are various theories about what the illness may have been, but the symptoms are simply not described in, in much detail. But I think one thing we could say about this is that, I mean, he'd been on constant campaign for 10 years. He was wounded. He probably had malaria as well. He was a heavy alcoholic, as far as we can tell. So all of this may well have come together. I mean, he must have been an extremely fit man, one has to say, and just 32 at the time when he died. But nevertheless, it was probably a combination of things is, I think, the likeliest suggestion. But if you go out there, you'll find all sorts of theories <laughs> about it. But of course, one also has to think at this point, I mean, ancient medicine, it is interesting in all sorts of ways, but it really wasn't very effective. So, yeah. you know, essentially, if you if you catch a serious disease, even if it's a heavy bout of malaria, there, you know, there is not much chance you have. And I think we also have to remember that. So I think the most likely 
explanation is natural causes. Okay, so you live fast, died young, the archetypal case of that, perhaps. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so I'm thinking now, when just in, in public imagination today, I mean, the most recent iteration, I think, of Alexander the Great on film was the film a few years ago with Colin Farrell. Yes. And he's presented as this kind of beautiful golden boy who's homosexual, who, again, has this kind of live fast, die young attitude to life. What do you think has been the long-term impact and legacy of Alexander the Great? And do you think it's been helpful in our understanding of that period? I think the long-term impact was really that... In the end, Greek culture did start to move out into large parts of Asia, actually. Cities were founded all over the place. Greek culture also took in various influences from their neighbours. I mean, it was always influenced by the East, there's no question. But now these contacts are much, are much bigger. Mm -hmm. And particularly their influences from Egypt, but also Persia, Mesopotamia, and so on. Cities were founded all over the place, all the way to, again, what's nowadays Afghanistan. And I think the awareness of this wider world made a big difference. Also, after Alexander, the ancient Mediterranean world really started to be organized in a different way. So... After long fights, I mean, we're talking about 30 years of very complicated, very chaotic fighting between various powerful people called the successors of Alexander. I mean, so, so they were trying to consolidate kingdoms, but they did in the end succeed. So you do have large kingdoms uh, coexisting next to each other. So there's a completely different setup of that world after Alexander. And, and that made a big difference culturally as well. So in many ways, politically and culturally, I think he had a huge impact, which lasted for a very long time. Yeah. But at the same time, we get this almost, I mean, it's a legendary story almost of exactly this almost superhuman being who... Yeah, lives fast, dies young. I mean, I'm sure his early death actually contributes to the legend in many ways. There are so many might-have-beens. And so I think the story is really important. I mean, one of the most long-lived texts from antiquity, the most translated texts inside antiquity, is the so-called Alexander Romance. This is a, the story of Alexander and his campaigns and his life and loves, one has to say, which is really like a novel. It has very little to do with the actual history, but this was translated into dozens of languages such as Armenian and Syriac, but it goes all the way over to India. There are versions in China and even in Japanese, uh, ultimately in the Middle Ages. And also the story was very popular in medieval Europe. And so Alexander becomes this mythical character almost. And I think in that respect, he contributes to the legend of the conquering king, the ideal of kingship and various other aspects like that. And he has a, he has a big role to play in the cultural traditions, not just of Europe, but also of all of Asia. And there are also there are versions of the Alexander romance in, in medieval Ethiopia, for example. So, so he has a very big in impact. 
Right. Wow. Okay. So that's really, really interesting to understand this this global impact that he that he had. If somebody was interested in finding out a little bit more about Alexander, could you suggest any further reading for them? I find actually the the current historiography about Alexander is a bit stuck in a rut, and it is probably because the sources we have are what they are, and there is not much to change. So it's all about interpretation and. I have to say, for quite some time, what we get is sort of biographical works on Alexander, usually dominated by either whether the author really admires Alexander or really dislikes Alexander, and that's <laughs> what you get. So so I always find that quite difficult. I think the most serious one of these books, very sober and 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 analytical, is, is by A.B. Bosworth called Conquest and Empire. But... If people want really good reads, the ancient Alexander uh, stories are amazing. They are really good reads. So there might be Plutarch's Life of Alexander. So that's a biographical work, which has lots of the stories which come back in Alexander films very often. The most detailed account, particularly if you're interested in also the military details, is by Arian, and it's called the... Anapasis of Alexander, or sort of the, the Greek term is it means going up into Persia essentially. But if you if you look look for Arian Alexander, you'll definitely find it. That's that's the long report of the campaign, and actually a really good read, I think. Oh well, that's that's good to know, Maria. This has been brilliant, really, really interesting. And I could talk to you for hours about Alexander, but unfortunately, we only have a limited amount of time. But thank you. And hopefully we can we can chat again about another classical topic on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. This was really fun. It's it's always wonderful to talk about the ancient world. Thank you very much. Thank you. Following his death, Alexander's body was embalmed and then transported on a funerary cart back to Macedonia, but it never made it. Accounts suggest that the cart was met in Syria by a general and diverted to Egypt where he was buried in Memphis. It was then moved a couple of centuries later to Alexandria. Over time the tomb was lost and the quest to find it has enthralled archaeologists for centuries. Today its location remains elusive. <laughs>